0: The new era. Next level. Raw.
1: In your face. Hard hitting. To the edge. PWE is talking sports. The all-star
0: crew. Danomac. Big Kaz. Brokowski. A B Z. And the game changer. The new beginning is now.
2: And we're back talking sports with PWE. We got the whole crew here again. It is a hot one today. So we're just going to get right into it. Stanley Cup finals. We know who's in. We know what's going on. Brokowski. Tell us a little bit about both these teams that are in there and give us a little, uh, insight to what you think is going to happen in this series?
1: Dude, I think it's going to be an awesome fucking series. It's going to be a good one for the NHL to get a lot of eyes on. It's on actually tonight, which is Wednesday, so the game will be over by the time you hear this. But it's going to be a good one. You basically got a a team trying to complete a dynasty and a team trying to start a dynasty. And it's going to be off the chain. Uh, For the first time ever, there's actually two North show finalists. In the finals for each team, uh, which is for a defensive player of the year. So, both teams are great on defense. Tampa Bay Lightning's Pat Maroon is actually going for his fourth straight Stanley Cup. He won one in St. Louis and then signed with uh, Tampa. And also, it'll be a 16th straight playoff series win. <clears throat> and that's including... Tampa Bay, who's going for their 12th straight series win tonight, which is the second longest behind the New York Islanders, who is actually the last team to 3 Pete which is what Tampa Bay is going for this year. And, man, it's both teams are honestly super stacked. Uh, it's going to be a goalie game. I mean, Colorado has probably the best goalies in the NHL right now. Both of them play. They didn't announce who's going to be starting tonight, so that's going to play a factor. I'm really excited to see that. Um, <clears throat> Derry Kramer, the goalie for Colorado, is going 6-2, and and Pavel Franchise is going 6-0. and So, I mean, like, you, you can't beat those odds. But Tampa Bay got Andre Velowski, and I totally screwed that one up he's actually, for the Red Wing fans out there, the goalie that Steve Eiserman drafted. So hopefully this young buck that he drafted last year is just like him. So he got some .9, 28% save percentage. He got some shutout. He's 12 for five. He's he's pretty on fire. So I, I look for it to be a really goalie matchup in here in defensive, kind of low scoring, 4-2 kind of games. Maybe there'll be one in there where one team breaks out and puts up five or seven goals. But it's going to be real good, real fun. Uh, Corey Perry's actually lost the last five Stanley Cup finals, and he signed with Tampa Bay this year, hopefully trying to get a ring. So that's pretty cool going into it. But it's it's going to be real exciting. I'm excited to see it. Who's going to win? You know, it's tough to say because I, I like Tampa Bay, but, I mean, if you're looking at it, analytically, analysts, Style Colorado is heavily favored in this series. It's kind of crazy that defending back to back Stanley Cup champs are the underdog in this series. Yeah. But I, I think Tampa Bay could probably pull it off in seven games. Seven games, it's, it's gonna right. be a
2: seven game series. You're calling a full seven stretch, you know what? And we're all gonna go around and just pick who we think we're gonna win. You don't have to give the games. So I just want to do this for fun Let's see. Hey, let's see who wins. Dan O'Mac, who's winning?
3: I have no idea. I hate Colorado because of the whole Red Wings-Colorado thing, so I guess I'm going to say Tampa Bay.
4: ABZ. Let's go Tampa Bay. I'm a little bit ignorant on this situation, but uh, – That's what makes it the fun. Same, right, for the same reasons as Dan, but also kind of like, uh, you no know, fuck Colorado. And Tampa Bay has been good for a while. And, you know, Eisenman was uh, their boy for a little bit. So, yeah, let's go Tampa Bay. Jamal, who you got? I'm going to go
0: with uh, Brokowski. I'm going to listen to him. He said Colorado, right?
1: Heavily... I said T- Tampa. Tampa Bay is going to win. Tampa's winning. Colorado's analytically would be the winner. They're the heavy favorite. But I- I'm saying Tampa. That's why it's seven.
0: All right. roll rolling We're go with Tampa.
1: Kyle
5: is Kyle with us I think he's still muted I'm unmuted uh well if you guys all pick Tampa I guess I have to pick my second team in Tampa <laughs> I'm not gonna pick the team I hate hey, the most I've been you know picking what? Tampa since day one we're three beating baby let's like, go I just hate Colorado you know and what's crazy, I was actually
1: thinking of Go ahead, big guys. It's just crazy. It
2: said most fans are going – most Red Wing fans are going to be siding with Tampa Bay on this one because of their ties, you know, with the Iserman deal. So, But I'm going to go against the grain. Brokowski, i let you say what you want to say. I'm going to go Colorado just because you all win Tampa.
4: Ooh. I like it.
1: So, so both these teams have you some pretty out. badass retro jerseys, and I was thinking wouldn't it be sweet if in the finals, at least like game two or game one or – Something like that. They wear their throwback jerseys <laughs> instead of constantly having the same one game to game. I think that'd be pretty badass. You know, Tampa I'm Bay's a, all black with the blue. I'm a big
2: fan of throwback jerseys across the league. I like the specialty jerseys in the NBA that they do. And you know, you just gave me an idea for a future segment we could talk about. And uh, Red Wings fans, especially ones that live locally. LCA next Saturday, June 25th, I believe is the date. They are doing a free premiere for this E 60 about the Detroit Red Wings and the Colorado Avalanche rivalry. There will be Red Wings in attendance that were on the show, and then they're going to have an open talk with the team. So if you get out by Little Caesars Arena next Saturday, go check that out, because that's looking like it's going to be a pretty cool E 60 special. We're going to move right along. AVZ came in last week, dropped his knowledge about UFC 20, uh, 275. And,
1: uh, yeah.
2: you know, he he was pretty spot on with a lot of his takes. So he's got a little bit to talk about there. AVZ. Let's,
4: let's do it. I have actually a round-by-round round, uh, breakdown of the thing. I scored it all. Uh, so rather than uh, getting too crazy and just, like, talking about it too much, I'm going to go right into that. So you can get my emotions and how I'm feeling. Let's start with uh, Ioana versus uh, Ioana Janjacek versus uh, Wei Lei Zhang. So as both fighters come out, there's a huge pop. The crowd seems split. Both of them want them out. This is the loudest they've been all night, and this is the loudest they're going to be all night. They were the hottest for these two. Uh, round one starts out. Yoana coming off of her two-year uh, layoff. She looks like Ioana. She's moving around a lot. Crazy footwork, creating distance, and gets an early knockdown off a leg kick. Uh, crowd goes crazy. Zhang's being very calculated, just kind of standing there, downloading data. She's bigger, she's stronger, but she's landing the bigger shots. She gets a takedown, ground and pounds. It's a nightmare situation for Yoana. The crowd is going crazy now for uh, Wei Lei Zhang. So uh, Zhang takes her back for a second, but Yawana gets back to half guard. Yawana gets back up, but couldn't, uh, but couldn't get out of the clinch. Zang powers her back and mounts heavy ground and pound from Zang. Elbows rain down. Ioana back up with 50 seconds to go. Back and forth this whole round is. Yuana looks worried and closes the distance, but uh, she looks worried to, to close the distance. Uh, and she's been loading up with the right hand, and she cracks Zang, but Zang catches her with a head kick and uh, puts Ioana down to end the round. So uh, I have Zang with 10-9. Don't worry, the rest of the rounds aren't that crazy. This is the craziest round of the night for me. Uh, round two. Ioana looks feisty and she's pushing the pace. She has to. She's down around for sure. Uh, she needs to win both of these rounds if she plans to win this. Zhang's being patient. She's counterfighting. Uh, big combo from Zhang off of a Yowana uh, head kick. And the crowd starts chanting for Weile. The crowd starts going, oh, every time Yowana lands a leg kick, she's created distance again. Zhang's landing over 75% of her significant strikes. Yuan's landing under 50, which by the way isn't that crazy. Zhang landing over 75% of her significant strikes is crazy, especially considering she's the stronger fighter. Uh, big spinning backfist ends the fight as Yuana overextends. Zhang wins this one. Big power shot. That was crazy. The big spinning backfist. If you get if you can watch that online, you should check it out. Yuana leaves her gloves in the ring. She's 35. She says she wants to retire and have a kid she might i would be surprised if she doesn't come back for a couple more money fights but uh yeah i mean like she looked like herself but it feels like the game's kind of passed her by a little bit but she looked good here she can beat people i just don't think she's in the title picture anymore uh if she chooses to come back now that's kind of what i suspected and this next fight though this is not really what i suspected the, the end the end result is what i thought was going to happen valentina does retain However, the road to get there was very weird. She's fighting Tyla Santos. She's the number four contender in Tyla Santos. This one I won't go as round for round with, but uh, I will just talk about it. Valentina and Tyla, like, Valentina was a minus 630 favorite going into this fight. And while that is the closest it's been since she fought the former flyweight champion, uh, Jessica Andrade, uh, she still just crushed Andrade with a second round KO. Valentina has beat everyone. She toys with them. She actually picks her opponent's favorite like thing to do. So if they're a wrestler, she'll wrestle with them and crush them. If they're uh, jujitsu submission person, she'll she'll try to tap them. If, if if they're a boxer, she'll go footwork with them and outbox them. It's pretty crazy what she's been doing. And uh, both are going to start slow here in round one. And they're both like very calculating, right? Both of them are slow starters. Both of them are downloading data. But Santos is more active. Valentina is doing a good job of, like, landing, but for the first time here, Valentina, like, attempts for a takedown, but she's getting her takedowns countered, and Santos is landing on top, and Santos is raining fire down, and she puts her in a rear naked choke that almost ends the fight in the very first round, and Valentina looks shook going into the second round. Um, Once again, Valentina's going for a head and arm takedown. She gets that role. That's uh, uh, in pro wrestling that would be like, a head like, The way we do headlocks, she goes for that takedown multiple times here. Uh, She's going for upper body takedowns, which is very weird. It's a lot of judo. So Valentina, throughout this whole fight, she's going for a lot of head and arm takedowns, which is Ronda Rousey's way of taking people down back in the day, which leads you right into an arm bar control possible thing right there. But also she's going for double underhooks and trips, which is like not what most people do. She keeps on consistently trying to clinch Santos, but she is losing at every facet with that Santos just keeps dominating her grappling wise uh more of the same good into round three I have this one Santos winning all three of the first three rounds uh 10-9 so I have it at that point not looking too good for uh Valentina and in the fourth round something kind of crazy happens in the middle of the third round where their heads collide and Santos Her eyes start swelling up, her right eye, and it's closing bad going into the fourth round. She can't see out of it, and it was an accidental thing where both heads collided. And Valentina comes out banging. Her coaches were telling her, do not take her back down. Do not grapple. Strike. And Valentina is usually a counterpuncher, but she can't counterpunch anymore. She's down three rounds, at least as far as I'm concerned. Though one of those rounds, the first round was pretty close. Valentina comes out banging banging. So she's coming out here and after a little bit in this fourth round, she's treating uh, Tyler like she's a like a punching bag, shooting like a heavy bag. Her eye is closed. She can't really do anything and uh, I mean, she keeps on countering to keep it close and there is a situation where she lands up on top here. Uh, Santos is still alive and countering, but like, man. Uh, Santos takes her down with 15 seconds to go to keep this, I think, from being a 10-8 round. Valentina wins that round. Into the fifth round I have Valentina down one. Uh, It's really, really close. Uh, Valentina's once again teeing off, and uh, she keeps trying for these takedowns. Her coaches tell her to stop, but she keeps going for the takedowns. I think it's out of pride at this point. Going into this fight, she was talking about how calculated she was, how confident she was, and how uh, Santos is not better at her at literally anything, and she's not stronger at any phase of the game. Throughout this fight, she's proven that she is better on the ground and in the clinch than Valentina. Yeah, Valentina kept going for it, And Santos ends up on top again. And Valentina does control top position for a little bit. And it's a very dominant round for Valentina. But I think if her eye didn't close here and if... uh, okay, I think in this final round, if Valentina didn't try to take her down, she couldn't 10-8 her here. And I think that's actually how some of the judges scored it because they had Valentina winning but it was a split decision. I had Santos winning 48 to 47 for a new champion. But uh, you know, that's what happens when you leave it to the judges. One judge, you know, that's actually the way one of the judges scored it was the way I scored it. Another judge scored it the opposite with 48-47, uh, Valentina. And one judge scored it 49-46 to 46 for Valentina, which I think they are out of their mind. I don't know what they were drinking over there, but, you know, too much of the sake. Too much sake, in my opinion. But uh, they need to run that fight back. They absolutely must. Uh, I think Valentina will come in a lot more calculated, but also that that shot to the eye like that was kind of a fluke situation. So I don't know that she would have been able to tee off on Tyler Santos the way that she did around four and five had her eye not closed completely where she's, you know, fighting blind, essentially. Okay, we go into the main event. It's Yuri Prohaska versus Glover Teixeira for the light heavyweight championship of the world. And this was a absolutely crazy fight. Um, Glover is the favorite here uh, by quite a bit. Yuri's uh, only fought twice in the UFC, both wins, but he's only fought twice. Glover asked for him personally. So this is a very interesting fight. He, G- Glover planned, you know, with a win here, he would go on to Madison Square Garden, that would be his final fight. Now, things don't necessarily go. I predicted that Yuri was going to win this, and the reason I thought he was going to win this is because he's such an unpredictable fighter. There's no way to prepare for him. He's a funky style. He doesn't move like a light heavyweight. He moves around like he like he uses a lot of traditional martial arts. And he fights out of a uh, southpaw position, which makes him very, very hard to, like, calculate. Uh, it's really weird. Punches come from everywhere. It's almost like he's doing Capoeira out there. If you ever ever played Tekken, that's like uh, Eddie Gordo. How he's just always, like, moving around all crazy. Like, you never know what he's going to do. And it's like, he expends a ton of energy doing that. So you see that happening. Like, maybe, like, Yoana. You saw Joanna do that earlier where she's just pumping the jab. He pumps the jab just like that. And uh Dominic Cruz does it all the time. Crazy footwork moves all over the place, but those guys are like 120, 130 pounds. He's doing that. He Yuri looked humongous. He looked like he walks around 240, 250 in the off season. Like he was big, big, and he was punching Glover from across the street. I'm not gonna give you a round by round on this one just because it was there's so much. There's so much. Both people take control of every single round. It's bloody, it's crazy. Uh, Glover keeps on going for single legs and they keep on working. So the way he was doing it was Yuri kept on creating distance uh because he's longer and he's winning all the strike exchanges for the most part. Though both of them did land heavy leather. Uh Yuri was kind of controlling it on the feet, but every time he would throw those big crazy uh upper body kicks, he throws kicks to the body, he throws kicks to the head, he throws kicks to the leg. When he's throwing those kicks and he like overextends when he has that, what's it called, uh, traditional martial arts stance, which means he has a wide stance, when you throw that kick, you leave yourself kind of vulnerable to that being not only taken, but a shot to the other side. And you can also dodge those and go right into and lead some big combos in. But the way he keeps his hands, it's kind of hard to do that. But Glover knew that, kept on catching that leg, kept on tree topping him, kept on taking him down with the single leg takedown. And single legs, you don't really see that much in MMA, especially at the heavier weight classes because they do kind of expose you a little bit, but with that big, wide stance, boom, kept on catching that leg. Uh, And uh, Glover kept on taking him down. And Glover had a clear advantage on the ground. Yuri had a clear advantage on the feet, though, as his distance was playing a big factor. But as the fight went on, Glover started getting stronger and stronger. Going into round five, I had this tied up. Both men were bleeding like crazy. Both of them as sweaty as possible. But Yuri looked really tired. And that's going to happen when you move around as much you know, as he does. And going into round five, uh, the crowd was popping and both men embrace out of respect. I'm going to actually read this round five. Glover lands early and has him uh, hurt. He goes for a guillotine. Yuri slips out and ends up on top. Big mistake by Glover. Back to his feet. Both men are landing. Glover's combo. Uh, Glover lands a big combo and goes for a double leg. Yuri defends yet again. Glover's landing and goes for a double leg again. And Yuri attempts a seated switch, but gets mounted for his efforts. You don't really want to go for switches too often in MMA because uh, that's like a big, it's like a big move, and it often gets you elbowed right in the fucking face. But uh, in this case, he gets uh, mounted. I don't think Yuri really cared about getting punched in the face too much. He kept on like, getting punched in the face and just shaking his head. I'm like, whoa! Glover's a big dude? Like, like we heard, we heard that crack probably from like uh, you know all the way back in the United States from Singapore. Every time he got punched in the face, he's like, screw that! But like, whoa. Uh, Yuri rolls through, and he uh, takes Glover's back because Glover gets too high, which you don't want to do when you're mounting from the back. You don't want to get too high up on the throat. Uh, As a result, uh, Glover gets his back, sorry, Glover gets his back, and Yuri's in side control. Yuri goes for the rear naked choke, and he gets it. He got a rear naked choke towards the end. This was, like, with, like, a minute and a half left or two minutes left in the fifth round. Both of them are covered in blood, leaking like crazy. Both of them giant cuts from elbows. Uh, all kinds of sweat. He's been dominated on the ground the whole time, and Yuri gets a rear-naked choke on Glover Teixeira to become the new light heavyweight champion. I did not think this was going to end the way it did, but I did expect it to end this way. I actually thought that Yuri was going to knock him out, and he almost had him knocked out multiple times. But Yuri almost got knocked out like multiple times. This was fight of the night, fight of the year candidate. This was absolutely insane. If you want two big beanie men slapping meat, punching each other in the face as hard as possible, taking each other down, landing elbows, blood everywhere. If you want, like, if you want Eddie Guerrero, JBL, blood squirting, this is the one. So, uh, yeah, this was absolutely insane. Third fight, third fight in the UFC. Yuri Prohaska takes home the win. And the new champion, uh... Yeah, I thought that this would probably happen, to be honest. I thought that Yuri was younger. I thought he was funky. I thought he was the next, possibly the next big thing in the light heavyweight division. I thought it was going to maybe be like, you know, had Glover not asked for this fight, I think there would have been two or three more fights for Yuri. He, I think he would have made it maybe a little bit more dangerous, but I think we would have all seen this coming, you know. Uh, but he's been fighting elsewhere for a long time, Bellator and whatnot. His last loss was in 2015 to King Mo. So that, that's a name, right? He didn't lose to nobody. And, uh, man, Glover's good. He's a very good fighter. He's always been a good fighter. He deserved to be the champion. A fairy tale story for him. You know, a great storied career. Hopefully he does get to fight at Madison Square Garden. Maybe instead of uh, a title fight, he maybe he gets like a big uh, – like a money fight, but realistically, they could run this one back. I really think that they probably should. Um, and then what do you do, right? You have Yuri there. Like, what if John Jones comes back? Like, what? where, is that, where does that leave things? Then you have, you know, Polish Hammer still out there. Maybe he gets involved in this, too, because, you know, uh, Jan has a computer. There's so much to be done in this division It's wide open. It became wide open when... Uh, you know, John Jones left the division. DC retired. Who knows what's going to happen now? So uh, this is kind of crazy. Yuri's a new champion. Well-deserved here. Only three fights in the UFC. That's unheard of. Uh, the people's main event was definitely uh, Zhang and Ioana. Crazy uh, crowd reaction there. And that is exactly how I thought it was going to happen. Time away from the cage really bad for you. Like, don't take two years off, especially when you're 30. She was 33 at the time, now 35 wanna got, you know, I think the game passed her up a little bit. Uh, Zang was improving, consistently fighting her fights with Roche. lost twice, but I think she improved as a result of that. And uh, now the big question is, you know, does Zang get a title opportunity here against Esparza? I think yes, but also, like, like so there's a girl in that division uh, named Marina Rodriguez in the fly, women's flyweight division, and she has been starching fucking everybody and uh if she doesn't get her shot here and then gets it you know we've been hearing a lot of the same names you know as far as uh yoana andrage uh rose nami yunez those are the ones that we're we're used to uh but you know we haven't really heard a lot about uh, marina rodriguez i have a feeling as soon as she gets her shot she's going to win it and she is the new hot thing in this division as soon as she gets a shot at the title uh marina rodriguez is going to win the title. Not only win it, but I don't think any of these girls are going to be able to take it off her. I think she's been starching everybody, and she's not beating cans. Uh, So I think that she's uh, the next big thing in the flyweight division. But good win for Zhang. Great great night of fights. Very cool. It's good to see uh, Shevchenko also have, like, a real competitor for once instead of just absolutely blowing out absolutely everyone. It's fun to watch those, like, Ronda Rousey, Mike Tyson-type fights where it's like, okay – like how many seconds into the first round is it going to be before she just blows this person into the next year. But uh, this is going to be pretty interesting now. Uh, I don't think Valentina should have won that fight. And, uh, you know, I wasn't the only person to think that one of the judges did a lot of people online thought that was, you know, maybe a little Homer. So let's see how that goes. Good, good showing for Tyler Santos. This was like probably the best night of fights uh, of the year. I think this was the best pay-per-view of the year personally. So, if you that's have the opportunity, a, retroactively watch it. It's very, very, very talking. good.
2: On a five-star rating scale, what do you give you UFC 275, ABZ? We'll say instead of stars, we're going to say five grande cups or whatever it is from right. Starbucks.
4: I'll give it four and a half. And the only reason it doesn't have the other half was because it lacks some of the star power that maybe uh, some of the other ones might have. like The one thing it didn't have – was, like, the huge name on there. It didn't have, like, the huge name. Uh, I mean, you could argue wanna, but, like, you know, when I think of huge name, I think, like, uh, at this point, Usman. I think of, like, uh, you know, Stylebender. I would think John Jones. I would think Conor McGregor. I would think Nate Diaz. Uh, you know, those guys aside. Uh, but like of, of the active champions, those are the two that make me really think, you know, OK, that's the guy, uh, you know, it, and you uh, really have that. But even without it, like just from pure action, holy shit, man, even the undercard fights and the other two main event, uh, main event fights, they were awesome. The undercard was awesome. If you don't want to buy the actual paper, if you watch the undercard fights, man, they were awesome, too. So I thought this is the best pay-per-view of the year. Hands down. Four out of five. Sorry, 4.5 out of
2: five. 4.5 out of five on UFC 275. And now from slap sticks to big guys slapping meat, we're going to go Ooh. to a little sponsor break with Dan O'Mack and we're going to be back with NBA Finals Talk. And then I got some interesting questions for the guys to answer. All the guys.
3: For everything pro wrestling edge and talking sports with PWE, you can find us on social media at PWE pod. Uh, You can also go to our website, pwepod.com. There is a link to our brain buster tea store there as well. Uh, For edge of the mind podcast, edge of the mind pod on Instagram and the Facebook group page, edge of the mind podcast by PWE. Um, I'm actually on a break from that podcast, but more episodes will be coming out soon. Um, For our sponsors and our partners, uh, Rue Psychedelics, find them on Facebook and Instagram at Rue Psychedelics. Warwind Productions Detroit at Warwind Productions DET on Facebook and Instagram. If you're looking for any podcast production work or voiceover work, reach out to Warwind Productions Detroit. Um, Brain Jerk Entertainment, you can find all their work at brainjerk.com. They're more than a podcast. They do so much cool shit. Uh, Check them out. Um you you won't be disappointed. Um Jayquist Photography, Ronnie's transition from one love in his life, wrestling to photography. His attention to detail and his love for photography makes him a valuable asset to this industry. If you're looking for any type of photography work, reach him out to him. At Jakewist Photography on Facebook and TikTok at J-A-Q-U-I-S. It's Ronnie Jaquist on Instagram. And horror underscore style on Twitter. He just got an upgrade on some lighting equipment thanks to his sponsor, the person that he sponsors, Pro Wrestling Edge, and the PWE group. So um, yeah, hit him up. And um, then our friends of the show, uh, Schwartzing and the Ratlocks, Wake and Bake. You can find them every Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. on Twitch, and on Wednesday nights, Sowing the Money, Randy West's show. And then Thursday nights at 9, Vinny Ratlock's Horror Lab of Wrestling, Science, and Horror. Um, check them out. And uh, I think that's it.
2: Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our partners and everybody that believes in us to get back uh, to get behind us like that to help put on these shows that we do. Moving on. If you've been listening, you know that we are deep into the NBA finals. Golden State Warriors took game five, took that series lead three to two, putting Boston Celtics, you know, behind the ball on this one. So, Jamal, man, fill us in. How was game five? Tell us how you thought that turned out and was it
0: what you expected? I mean, it looked like the Celtics could have had it, but – Like, I'm looking at the stats and, uh, like, you know, at the end of the game, I mean, they won in almost every category and you still lose by 10. So, it's just like the championship DNA is in Golden State to where if somebody gets Shelter's turnovers, that's their problem right now. You ain't going to win the NBA Finals off turnovers. And then you losing them to Golden State at that. So, Steph Curry, well – I think uh, I think that's the game he went. He was shooting. Back. I, I think he, he went over. Yeah, he so, didn't make
2: any threes that game. He, yeah, he seriously like he wasn't doing the greatest.
0: And they still won. And you know Andrew Wiggins. I don't know if it was true or not. I didn't search it, but Jason Tatum said Jabari Parker is better. And now it's coming back to Hunt him. Just, <laughs> Wiggins dunking on everybody. But at the end of the day, Golden State is just. Like we, like everybody in here has been saying, like they just that, that powerhouse, and they always capitalize on your mistakes, and their mistakes be threes, back to back. Like when you shoot, when you want a fast break and you shoot threes, you know that some. I think most of the time, when it bricks, it's going to be a long ball, so, and they're crashing them too, and getting second chances. It just. It's beautiful basketball, honestly. And, it, you know, people hate on the threes these days. But, hey, it speeds speed up the game. Everybody everybody that watch it obviously loves it. So, Celtics got to stop turning the ball over. And maybe they can do something. But imagine if Steph Curry was, man, hit half of the threes. So, you know what I'm saying? But those turnovers, is. That's gonna kill you. And that's I think that's the main death piece for the Celtics. Like that's, that's going that's not go that's the main that's their main reason of losing is the turnovers.
2: You keep going back to the turnovers now. Is that where the level of experience comes into play? Because Golden State absolutely knows how to capitalize if you play sloppy ball. You know, Boston is a young team, you know, in comparison. And are they gonna be able to cut out those turnovers? And if they do cut out those turnovers, are they going to be any type of competition in Game Six and possibly Game Seven?
0: I mean, everybody definitely have to play a one. I mean, it's like Boston best games are uh, them playing playing Steph Curry. That was the best. Like they got they wish uh, the last game. Like Steph played horrible, and you didn't capitalize on that. So it's like. Again, I guess Boston may seem deep, but that Golden State squad, they I think they front seven maybe. They all can get it. You know, the Celtics, their bench, is they, they're not consistent like that. But you don't want Poole to have a bad game, but, hey, he will splash your ass if you don't respect him. But you look at, uh, you look at the bench for the Celtics, you know, yeah. And then, oh, yeah, they turnovers in the point guard spot and no experience. That's what's killing them. Marcus Smart, I think he had, like, three assists. Like, come on, man. That's where the Celtics might – that might hinder them. They might figure something out in an offseason because you got to have somebody to take the pressure off Jason Tatum and Brown. Like, they're one-on-ones. Like, what? Y'all not going to do y'all sets no more? Like, going to stay still, running in circles? no matter what, but Marcus Smart can't, he can't razzle-dazzle to the bucket and open, you know, set him up. You know, he's not a PG, but, you know, defense win games, that's how they got that far. But now um, traditional type of basketball, in a way, is required for these games because if you don't have that point guard to even help initiate offense like a PG does, Hits turnovers. Jason Tatum, not a playmaker. He's a scorer. Brown is a scorer. They're not playmakers. So who you got? And that,
2: that was what I was going to ask, you know, leaving uh, Jason Tatum out of this. Who are two players on Boston that need to step up and help Tatum that must step up so they don't lose this in game six? And game six is in Boston, correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then they – yeah, game seven, yeah, obviously back in – uh. You're right. Yeah. But, uh, oh, uh, he, I mean, Horford, can, he can do a little bit better, but, you know, he, he a little bit outmatched. I mean, Grant Williams only giving you three. But, honestly, you were you looking at anybody to give you – look at the bench, like White, uh, Grant Williams, Pritchard. Uh, uh, no, that bench – ain't going to do it. Like, they play good defense against everybody else, but, I mean, you got to match that firepower that Golden State have. Like, either match it or lock it down. And you look at the Warriors, bench, Gary Payton, what, what – Looney. Like, he he didn't score, but he he come off doing his defense. He come in when they bring in uh, – what's it, Robert Williams the third. So, he kind of – they trying to offset that a little bit. Jordan Poole, like, bro, it just – they, they, Iguodala, he made big news that like he was going to play. He didn't even play, but it's just – its their firepower is too much. So, Celtics, I mean, hey, <laughs> Horford need to score 20 from them to win, and they need to stop turning the ball over. And hey, offseason, look for a PG, and that's, that's all I got on that, bro. Golden State win it all in game six, or does Boston stay alive? Hey, I'm going game seven. I want a game seven. Boston, they know they got to focus. They was getting texts complaining. But hopefully next game they come out, you know, zined up. But, hey, man, Steph, I think they want to win at home, but I wouldn't risk it. So, I said game seven, game seven. Boston got to. They have to.
2: And, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard about this. This has uh, happened before game five. Uh, This guy, his name is, uh, let me, let me, he's known as Big Dog TV on Twitter. I'm not for sure what his actual name is. He is the Clay Thompson lookalike. And he put out a tweet. He said he got banned because he walked past five layers of security guards who willingly let him through security without asking for ID, shot around on the court for 10 minutes, and also spent 10K on tickets, which they're not refunding. And he got banned for all that. Uh, uh, what do you think about that? Like, are they right for banning him and not giving him a refund? You know, he, he legit just walked on the court, but he made a good point. He walked right past security and nobody ID'd him. They all really thought was, he
0: was. I mean, he, he, he do be wearing that. It's weird that you want to be a fake somebody else. Just get that out the way. Fake Drake, fake uh, dirt, fake. Clay stop but he do look like him and he got through I don't know how many times he did that i seen a video he was shooting nobody was in there like people was the, the film crew was all on house. It's like damn but uh, I don't know that's kind of messed up but I mean if he spent 10k on some seats I mean he must be alright so hey man they taught you a lesson so no more faking that shit no more so yeah yeah, I thought that that was
2: pretty hilarious when I, I seen that. Um, and it's kind of crazy. This this playoffs, you know, they've had some wild things happen in the, play, in the playoffs, you know, up in Minnesota, all those people protesting the owner and stuff like that. People are getting on the courts pretty easily, you know. Um, and moving on with that, like, we got two guys that are, you know, professional athletes. What do you guys – Kyle and ABZ, what do you guys do if, like, somebody – a fan comes and approaches you in the ring or backstage where it's kind of off limits for people.
0: It's very yeah, different. I'll
4: uh, oh, go ahead. Huh. <laughs> I was going say it's very different because, uh, like we're kind of, you know, we're more used to that kind of happening. It's like, uh, you know, we're very accessible. We're very, very accessible. Um, and actually, uh, you know, someone, one of the stars, uh, like, well, Someone who had formerly been W WWE actually talked about that uh, just this weekend about accessibility and how I think it's good that the fans uh, can come up right, right up to us and talk to us and be a part of that as we're in WWE. When you go to our show like that, it's very, very different. You you're like, if you try to get anywhere near uh, that ring, you're going to get tackled and beat to shit by security. And if you get in that ring, you're going to get beat to shit by the wrestlers. Now, when you're a lot more accessible, you know, you know, on the Indies or I, I even feel like AEW's a little bit like that. he was uh starting question was talking about how uh, impact they're a lot more accessible as well because they're doing autograph signings and whatnot. Uh it makes it a little scarier to be heel sometimes, but also like you're like if a fan comes up to you and crosses that line and you know where the line is, right? If you start putting hands where they shouldn't be and whatnot you know that you're about to get knocked the fuck out, right? Like, we're there to do that to you. And I think, uh, you know, and we can and we should. But, you know, you, like, know, know where you should be with that. Like, y- you know what you did. You know what you did. You know the consequences. But uh, in this situation, it's like they can get blindsided pretty easily. And I think that at the NBA, like, it's not like we're in, in the NHL. Like, good, like, getting on the ice, that's going to be pretty tricky. Like you gotta like that's gonna be pretty tricky. Like those barricades and all kinds of stuff and you know same thing with like the NFL, like it's 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 harder. It's harder. You have to like jump over shit. Uh you gotta you know but with the NBA, you're like you you can literally be courtside. Like your seat and then boom, right in front of you are the players. So like I think it's easier to do that as far as that goes, but like uh, maybe they need to, there needs to be a little bit of separation. Maybe there needs to be a little bit less accessibility in the NBA. Maybe there needs to be a little bit of a barrier there, put them up a little bit. But then again, like that's part of the fun of uh NBA, that's part of courtside. That's why I pay for courtside seats. You can get closer uh at a basketball game than in any other real sport. So, you know, there's that too. Well, if, if uh,
5: in terms of like the basketball. I don't think one or two jackasses should ruin it if everybody else. Wants to sit courtside. It's I agree. It's kind of like, it's kind of like somebody doing some some fucked up or some messed up things in the neighborhood, and it gives a black eye to the entire neighborhood. And no, it's one absolutely. it's one household, and you know it, you can't you can't punish everyone else for that. But as far as like, it, there's levels to it. Professional, mm-hmm. you know, if it's WWE, NBA, NFL, mm-hmm. that is the security's job to handle that. It's not the players. Absolutely, job. the players are absolutely. There to- Independent wrestling is definitely more accessible as it should be because yes. we need the fan support more than anything. Um really? As far as them coming out of the locker room, I've dealt with that. It's Every single time it's been somebody who just didn't know. So, you yeah. know, this doesn't need to be physical. You just tell them, hey, right. you got to get out of here and them up. As far as them getting in the ring or getting involved, um, I think instincts take over. I think it's a little kid or a woman or just, yeah. they don't know. They don't you know what that line is. Now, if it's a grown man trying to start a fight, then yeah, yes. you're gonna have to take it into your own hands. Hopefully, it doesn't come to that, but but at the same time, it's like we gotta protect ourselves too, and we gotta show why we're supposed to be in the ring. You know, and hopefully, it don't come right. down to that. It doesn't you don't want it to? But um, but for NBA and everything, it's security's job. So them letting somebody on the court to shoot, uh, threes, breathe, I knew what he was doing wrong. Yes, he's gonna get banned, but security can't let that happen. <laughs> I mean. They just can't oh, yeah. let a guy walk right through They get these play tops and no one knows what's going on in terms of that. But NBA's been having a problem with it lately. Russell Westbrook and people crying. Um, dude, they paid courtside seats to chirp at you. That's what's going to happen, you know. And
0: mm-hmm.
5: I'm mm-hmm. always a thing. If you pay for a ticket, yeah, there's a line you don't cross What you, what you say. But at the right. end of the day, man, if that's what's getting to you, if that's getting in your head, you're a mental midget anyway. So you, you, can't, you can't allow that to uh, – Be the separation. That's my take on it.
2: Yeah, you could, I mean, people get, these athletes could start taking a a page out of Aaron Rodgers' book, how he dealt with Chicago when those fans were flipping him off. He just told them politely, I fucking own you. And, you know, went on with his day. That was a good interaction where it didn't cross any really borders in my eyes. The fans gave it. Rogers took it and gave it right back, and uh, I I think that part of the game is fun and it is necessary and needed. Yeah, NBA fans should get the chirp
0: yeah. at you. And that, yeah, that's that my bad. Real quick, uh, with the chirping, I mean, I, I feel you on that. It's like, like that's why I hate when people were doing this. Oh, mama mentality, Jason Tatum, the mama. Like, bro, y'all disrespecting Kobe like that. But he, y'all not proving to be no mama mentality. Devin Booker. Jason Tatum, so it's like you on the court side. You goes, "Oh, I'm a bitch. I'm giving you 35. Like that's how, yeah, that's how they used to do it back then." I was like, what? Hey. "Hey, hey, ref, cut him." I'm like, "What the bruh? Like, come on, man, it ain't lose." Like Reggie Miller,
5: Spike Lee, man. Like, you know, he told him, "I know, I'm
0: an bro, a- I know, I know." It's a different era, but I mean, damn. So nobody talk trash to you in the AAU. Yeah, like that's like what y'all playing it, right? you know, like you
2: couldn't—they couldn't handle going out there and playing a pickup game anymore, you know. Like you—you you go for a guy's mentality just as much as trying to steal the ball when you're playing a pickup game of twenty-one at, at, at your basketball court, you know. So um some of them I do feel is soft, and you know, this is going to lead us right into the open forum. That's a pretty good talk right there. Anybody else have any hot takes on anything else before I get in? to the rapid, rapid fire
4: round. Well, really quick. Like, like I said, there's a difference, right? I mean, if you're chirping somebody, it's like, yeah, you're supposed like, that's part of the home field advantage. Like that's, that's what you, that's why you want yes. to be at home. Right. And again, like a guy going out there and shooting around uh, a guy coming out out there to like, go streaking and like, you know, throw their sign up or whatever. Like, that's one thing that's just someone trying to be a jackass, but like if they're coming out there trying to put hands on you, then you need to start worrying about it, but that's not really what's going on. Right. They're not coming out there trying to, like, beat the shit out of the players. So, like, you know, but at the same time, you never really know, right? You don't know what that guy is capable of. You don't know what they're going to do. But, yeah, if it's this guy, like, out there chirping you or whatever, like, let it be. Let, let, be accessible. That's, like, that's the fun of being a fan. That's what people paid, you know, the 10000 dollars like to sit courtside to do. You know what I mean? Like, they're part of the action. So, I don't know. I,
5: I, I, got, wish- I got a couple things. I got a right, couple of right. things. One, one, I think a lot of people want to get physical, especially like pro wrestling. They want a reason to beat you up, so don't give them one. But uh, right. my hot take for this, is me personally, i Jamal go, but um, it's NBA related. Celtics are arguably the best franchise ever. They're going to the garden. I don't think the series is over. But if the Warriors win, Steph Curry to me is a
0: top 10 player of all time.
5: That's my take.
0: Yeah. I, I... – <laughs> I, I like that. I like that talk. That talk, I just, I don't even know who to, to leave out of that one right there. But no, I was just going to say with the chirping, imagine Draymond Green, like, that's the loudest mouth of the league. Imagine he can give you 35. You you can't say nothing to him. That's how you want the NBA players to be. Like, bro, okay, you bitch. Oh, okay. I'm going I'm to play hard. Not no, I'm going to go six for 30, like, and just pass and turn. Ah, it just, I get when they say it's soft because of little stuff like that, but that's all I got on the league.
3: Well, here's my hot take on Steph Curry. He's the greatest shooter to ever play the game.
5: Oh, huge take, Dan. Huge take. Uh, <laughs> hey, I, I'm just
3: telling you, he's the be- best shooter ever. I knew that in, like,
5: 2015.
3: <laughs> well, you watch basketball. I don't. So, the little bit of oh, basketball. I, I being, oh,
5: I think you you're being serious. Oh, I thought you were just joking around. No, oh, he is. Oh, I know. I thought you're you're just stating the obvious. I'm sorry. No,
3: no, I don't watch <laughs> basketball. It's so the little bit I do. This, this dude's on fire. This, I'm sorry, Dan, I'm No, you're you're all right. You're good. I'm shutting up again. No,
2: nope, cuz we're going to need you here, Dan, for the rapid fired shoot around. Rules of this is is I'm going to give a question. Not everybody's going to get the same question but a few people will answer the same question and you have one minute or less to answer and explain why. First question. And I'm going to throw this one. Cause you know, Dan hasn't talked so much this episode. If you were a general manager of a brand new expansion NFL team, what three positions are you going to start to build your franchise around?
3: What three positions?
2: Positions. We're not going current players or anything. We just, I'm just talking positions.
3: A pass rusher, a quarterback, and an offensive lineman.
2: That offensive line, which, which, I tackle, mean, left tackle, left tackle. And what would yeah. you take? A defensive end?
3: Defensive end, yeah.
2: Kyle, same question to you defensive end, corner, wide receiver. That's different. That's different. I like that take. I like that take. And you know what? I'm going to throw one more. Brokowski, give me an answer
1: on that one. Uh, quarterback, linebacker, and running back. You know, all
2: good answers, all good answers, you know, because in that time, you know, when franchise teams come in, you know, they do this weird draft and they get so many extra picks. So you kind of have everything to go after right off the rip. Myself, I'd go quarterback, running back and probably a tackle I'm I'm an all offensive guy so let's see how that goes for me next question and I'm going to start with you Jamal best jerseys across all professional sports
0: uh you already know I'm gonna say piss but uh I guess best jersey across all sports uh man that's a that's a big one right there uh Best jersey, shit. The most iconic jersey, I think, recognizable Jordan. The Bulls. You see Bulls, you looking? oh you got on Pippins. Like you know, people looking to see which one you got on. But that's that's my take. Michael Jordan, the red, that red uh, jersey. Hey, that's it. Noticeable anywhere, fake or not. You think it's the Chicago Bulls? So that's me. <laughs>
2: AVZ, what do you think? What's, what's the best jersey in sports to
4: you? Uh, that looked the slickest? Um, I, I'm going to sound kind of like a homer here, but I would say the, the Seattle color rush jerseys I think are really sw- are really sick. Uh, that lime green really pops. But um, I actually really like the current Cardinals uh, color scheme right now with the black and the red. I think that looks really, really good, especially their color rush. So I'm going to go with the Cardinals, actually, if I, can't pick the, if I can't pick Seattle color rush.
5: And Kyle, same question. So I'm, you know, I'm glad Jamal said something about iconic because I'm trying to keep iconic out of it because, yeah. you know, the Celtics are iconic, but who cares about the green and white? I like right. something different. I can't stand how Arizona is red and black. I mean, the Bulls are red Ooh. and black. Every team's red and black. I agree. I was hoping AVZ would say Seattle. I think Seattle changes their colors up. No one else has those colors.
4: I love those colors.
5: We can all picture it.
2: Yeah. Honorable mention, the Supersonics. I love those jerseys. I hope they get the return someday. Absolutely. And this last question, I'm going to throw around to everybody because uh, I think this is a a pretty fun one. What is the best championship game that you enjoy watching, that you look forward to every year? We'll start with Brokowski. Championship buys, obviously.
1: It's the Stanley Cup, but any game seven, I don't care what sport it is, I'll watch a game seven. <laughs> Dan O'Mack.
3: Oh, shit. Um, probably the Super Bowl. It's probably the only championship series I watch. So Jamal. the Super Bowl is the only thing I watch.
0: Um, I will say whenever the Lions make the playoffs. But uh, that's how we treat it. But I would say the Super Bowl because, hey, no matter who or what, people that don't even watch football, your friends, they're going to meet up, enjoy food, and watch that game. So I can't say that about any other other sport, really. Super Bowl party.
4: Okay. Okay. For every year, yeah, it's going to be the Super Bowl. But I want to talk about this. When this isn't every year, this isn't even every other year, but when in combat sports, the two I'm talking about are boxing and MMA. When you get that fight, that title fight, like that one, you know what I'm talking about. That one, I'm talking about uh, McGregor. Sorry, probably McGregor versus uh, uh, versus uh, Khabib. I'm talking about. um, I'm talking about like uh, Mayweather versus Pacquiao. I'm talking about, like, uh, you know, uh, Wilder versus Gypsy King. Like, those specific fights, like, the world is watching. Like, that's – and it's crazy. Like, yeah, the world's watching the Super Bowl, too. But it's, like, they're watching it because it's the Super Bowl. Like, keep – like, you're watching, like, the two behemoths clash. It's, like, how does this guy lose? How does it – and these fights are usually built years in the making. So much storyline behind it, so much individual trash talk. They didn't have two weeks to build that that matchup like you get with the Super Bowl. You didn't get, you know, one season to build it like, you know, a World Series or an NBA finals. No, 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 no. You, like usually those kind of fights have been building for years and years and years. It's the clash of the two behemoths. I think, you know, those kind of fights, like you're edging your seat the entire time. You have no idea what's gonna happen. Like I said, like those kind of fights are years in the making. There's so much storyline and it's two individuals. So I would say the the big combat sport title fights. I think those are the number are number one for me.
2: Different take, never thought of that. Kyle, what's your pick?
5: So I think it always changes based on if I have a dog in the fight in each sport, but in general, the World Cup is my favorite because It's the world's game, and the whole world is watching, not just America. So, like, I get really invested in the World Cup, and I played soccer. So that – and then as far as American Big Four, um, like I said, dog in the fight changes things. But Super Bowl to me is more of the whole party, the whole whole halftime show, the hanging out with your friends, and injuries happen, and not always does the best team win, where a series – determines a lot of things. I'm a huge baseball fan. I like something in the air in October. I like to fall classic. I got to go World Series as far as the big four.
2: You know, I was going to pick the Super Bowl myself. I do enjoy the Super Bowl every year. You know, I was born and raised a football fan. Always have been. But it was funny because I was going to mention the World Cup. That's one that I think, you know, like you said the whole world watches and every country that is allowed to be in is in And going for that one trophy. So thanks guys for answering this week's rapid fire questions. Great show. And that's it for us tonight. Join us next week.